Ezekiel 36, verse 20, <coughs> speaking of the Jewish nation. But when they were scattered out among the nations, they were a blight upon thy holy name, because the nation said, These are the people of God. Now God takes up the conversation. I am concerned about my reputation that was ruined by my people throughout the world, God is saying. Therefore, say to the people of Israel, The Lord God says, I am bringing you back again, not because you deserve it. I am doing it to protect my holy name, which you have tarnished among the nations. I will honor my great name that you have defiled. The people of the world shall know that I am the Lord. I will be honored before their eyes by delivering you from exile among them, for I will bring you back home again into the land of Israel. The second next great event on the calendar of God. The third one is going to happen in the tribulation. Now the tribulation, when that happens, we won't be here. As a matter of fact, when we're gone, it's on. <clears throat> it's important, however, that we have some idea of what's going to happen in the tribulation period in order that we can be preparing for that day when surely Jesus will return and take us out of this world and the tribulation will fall upon mankind. The first thing that will happen during the tribulation is the world will be divided into four major spheres of influence. The northern kingdom you'll find in Ezekiel 38 and 39 and in Daniel 11, Daniel 40, Dan, Daniel 45, and Joel 2. The northern kingdom, called Gog, Cush, Put, and Gomer, will be made up of Russia, that's Gog, Cush, the Arabs and the black Africans, Gomer, the Eastern European bloc, Put will be Libya and Yemen. These people are going to be one bloc, one power structure of the nations at the beginning of tribulation. The second power structure will be Israel. The third power structure will be a ten-nation confederacy. This is pointed out in Daniel 7, verses 1 through 20, Revelation 13, verses 1 through 3. This confederacy will have basically the same boundaries as the boundary of the old Roman Empire. It will have its headquarters in Rome. It will have a dictator who will run the, run the ten-nation confederacy. There are people today who believe that the EEC, the common market of Europe, is the beginning of the ten-nation confederacy spoken of in the book of Daniel and in the book of Revelation. I believe Greece is just asked to enter the common market and may have been accepted. If so, she makes the tenth nation. We now have a confederacy of ten. The fourth power structure will be the kings of the east, pointed out in Revelation, the 16th chapter, verses 12 through 16. The Greek word there that calls them the kings of the east actually means kings of the rising sun. Many people believe that that group will be China or Japan or China and Japan together. These are the four power structures politically at the beginning of the tribulation. Then the dictator of the ten-nation confederacy, which we will have its headquarters in, in Rome, is going to make a treaty with the Jews. He is going to guarantee the Jews two things, basically. One, protection. And number two, that they will have the privilege of worshiping in their own way. Daily sacrifice will be reinstituted in the temple. So the ten-nation confederacy and the Jews are together. Then the world church, that great ecumenical movement, finally comes together, and there's a great world church. This is pointed out in Revelation, the 17th chapter, and in Isaiah 47 spoken of as the great whore or the great harlot of Babylon. The dictator of the ten-nation confederacy will make peace with the world church. 
And because of his strength with them and because of his political ability, he will become a world dictator. The ecological situation has become so bad, the population explosion has become so critical, the depletion of natural resources has become so crucial that he says to them, in effect, if you'll just give me control, I'll bring order out of chaos, we'll have a chicken in every pot. And the people believe him and give him control, and he becomes a worldwide dictator. He's running the whole show. The other three power structures have joined him. Now, halfway through the tribulation, and the tribulation is a seven-and-a-half-year period, seven-year period, three-and-a-half years, halfway into the tribulation, this leader, the world dictator, the Bible calls him the Antichrist, the Bible calls him the man of sin, says to the people, you may not realize it, but actually I'm God. And he sets himself up in the temple of Jerusalem and has people worship him. He breaks his treaty with the Jews and sets himself up as God. And he destroys the one world church, Revelation 18, verses 2 and 3. Then he has a beast, which is his lieutenant, to build an image to himself. And the image is put in the temple of Jerusalem, and people are made to worship the image while he himself goes back to his headquarters in Rome. The beast, who is in charge at that point while the Antichrist is back in Rome, decides that if anybody is going to buy or sell or trade in the entire world, they must have the mark of the beast. The number, the mark, the number of his name is 666. And so all over the world, people are having put on their foreheads or on their hands the mark of the beast. Without the mark of the beast, they cannot trade, they cannot buy, and they cannot sell. Revelation 13, verses 11 through 18. Meanwhile, two witnesses have sprung up in Jerusalem. There's a difference of opinion as to whose these two people are. Some people think they are Moses and Enoch. Some think they'll be Moses and Elijah returned from the dead. Some think they're going to be Enoch and Elijah because Enoch and Elijah are the only two people who never died but instead were simply translated. But whoever they are, they are witnesses to God. They spring up in Jerusalem, Revelation 11, 1 through 16, 1 through 6. And they begin to tell the people, you should be worshiping God, the only true God. Do not worship the beast. The people try to kill the two witnesses, but they can't kill them. They refuse to die. During that three-and-a-half-year period, the last half of the seven years of tribulation, these witnesses continue to preach to the people. Then there are three sets of seven things that happen. There are seven seals that are opened in heaven. There are seven trumpets that are blown by the angels, and there are seven judgments or plagues that come upon the earth. The order in which they happen is not clear, but the fact that they do happen is very clear. But they occur in this last three and a half years of tribulation, and the people on the earth blame the two witnesses for the plagues, the trumpets, and the seals. <clears throat> and here's what will be happening. The seven seals in Revelation 6. The first seal is opened. The white horse that we see in the first seal is the Antichrist. He is the conqueror, the dictator. The second seal is open. The red horse is seen. That means that peace is destroyed from the earth, that war begins to triumph. The third seal is open. The black horse we see, which is famine. The fourth seal is open. The horse of death, and one-fourth of all humanity is killed. The fifth seal is open, and they see the souls of those who were killed for the testimony of Jesus revealed at the throne of God. The sixth seal is open, and a great earthquake comes upon the earth. Celestial chaos takes place. The sun and the moon and the stars are all fouled up. Every mountain in the world is leveled. Every island in the sea disappears, and all mankind tries to hide. The seventh seal is open. It says there is a great silence in heaven for the space of a half an hour. 
I believe that seventh seal is when Jesus comes back to set up his millennium reign. And then the seven trumpets. Let's look at them for a moment. They're pointed out in Revelation 8, 9, 10, and 11, those four chapters. The first angel blows his trumpet. Hail and fire and blood come upon the earth, and he kills one-third of the earth. It's burned. The second angel blows his trumpet. A burning mountain is cast into the sea. One-third of all the life in the sea dies. One-third of all the ships on the ocean sink. The third angel blows his trumpet. A star from heaven falls, and the name of the star is Wormwood, and one-third of all the rivers and all the streams in the world are polluted and poisoned. The fourth angel blows his trumpet, and one-third of the stars and the sun disappear. The fifth angel blows his trumpet, and the bottomless pit is opened up. And out of the bottomless pit comes hordes of locusts which sting like scorpions. They are given power over men for five months to torture men but not to kill them. At this point, men try to die. They jump off of buildings, but instead of hitting hard, they float down to the ground. They try to cute themselves, but they can't die. The locusts out of the bottomless pit spend five months torturing all the people of the world. Then the sixth angel blows his trumpet, and 200 million demon-possessed cavalrymen begin to run through the earth, and they kill one-third of all mankind that is remaining. The seventh angel blows his trumpet, and a voice from heaven says in Revelation 11:15, the kingdoms of this world are become the kingdoms of our God and of his Christ, which is the millennium when Jesus comes to reign for a thousand years. But also there are seven judgments, seven plagues pointed out in Revelation 16. I want you to know basically what they are. The first judgment, boils spring up on all the people of the world who have accepted the mark of the beast. The second judgment, all the seas in the entire world die and become just like the Dead Sea. Third, all the rivers of water die. Fourth, something happens to the axis of the earth and something happens to the sun and the sun's heat becomes unbearable upon the people who are left upon the earth. The fifth judgment, darkness falls. The people of the world are going to be in such anguish and pain that they will gnaw their tongues just because of the pain and the anguish. The sixth judgment, the Euphrates River dries up so that the kings of the east can cross it. The seventh judgment, the great hailstones weighing more than 100 pounds apiece begin to fall. And then the great wind-up battle, the battle of Armageddon, begins. Now that gives you some idea, in a general way, of what's going to be happen, happening during the, the last three and a half years of the tribulation period. The people remaining keep trying to kill the witnesses, and finally they get the job done. Revelation 11, verses 7 through 12. By satellite, by worldwide television coverage, they show the two witnesses' bodies lying out in Jerusalem. A great worldwide celebration breaks out because the witnesses are dead. They begin to send each other gifts all over the world. The witnesses are dead. They lie out there in Jerusalem for three days. Then while the TV cameras are still trained on them, someone notices that one of their eyelashes moves. Then a finger moves, and the two witnesses come back to life in sight of the entire world, and people are frightened to death. And the voice comes to them from heaven saying, Come up thither. And as the people watch, the two witnesses disappear into heaven. Revelation 11, 7 through 12. The two witnesses are now gone. They're up in heaven. An earthquake hits. Everybody's pretty upset. Then Egypt attacks Israel. When Egypt attacks Israel, Russia comes to her aid, and Russia invades Israel both by sea and by land. 
They've got a big battle going. About that time, the world dictator is still operating out of Rome, gets his troops together, and comes over to Israel to attack the Russians because they have sided with Egypt against Israel. At that point, nuclear warheads enter the battle. Zechariah 14, 12. The major cities of the world are nuked. The kings of the east come by land from the east over to the Middle East to attack the ten-nation confederacy. You'll be interested to know that the Chinese today are building a road that will reach from China to the Middle East. They are engaged in combat. Suddenly, as these forces of the world have come together in the plains of Megiddo in the Battle of Armageddon, suddenly Jesus returns to the Mount of Olives in glory. Revelation 19, Revelation 14, Acts 1. And he destroys the alien armies, sets up his millennial kingdom, and we're going to come with him. When he comes, he's going to rule the earth for a thousand years. There will be perfect prosperity and peace and joy and harmony, and his headquarters will be Jerusalem. At the end of that time, Satan is released for a short time, Revelation 20, verse 7 through 9. Because he knows his time is short, he is especially vicious. But after he is released for only a short time, God suddenly appears with his ring of keys and says, Gentlemen, it's closing time. And wraps up the earth. The Bible says that the elements shall dissolve with fervent heat and the heavens heaven shall disappear. All that we see and all that we know at that point will go up in smoke and then comes the new heaven and the new earth. The great white throne judgment will take place and from that point on we're in eternity with Christ forever. But what does all this mean to us? In 1 Chronicles 12, 32, it says, And of the children of Issachar, which were men that had understanding of the times, we as born-again believers need to have an understanding of the times in which we live. The Lord Jesus spoke of this necessity in Matthew, the 16th chapter, and the 2nd and 3rd verse, when he, he said this, You are good at reading the weather signs in the skies. Red sky tonight means fair weather tomorrow. Red sky in the morning means foul weather all day. But you can't read the obvious signs of the times. And the question comes, what are the signs of the times that let us know that the rapture is relatively close? Now, people who go around setting dates are foolish. But we can understand the times and recognize the signs of the times. There are three basic signposts that tell us what is happening and at what point in God's calendar uh, we are looking at. The three things are the Jewish nation, the world governments, and the world church. You can look at the church, the Jewish nation, and the world governments and know what the signs are that God has given telling us of the coming again of Jesus. Matthew 24 is an interesting portion, and it gives us more insight and more description of what's going to happen at the end times of the last days of any place in the Bible apart from the book of Revelation. And this is the Master himself speaking. And in Matthew 24, if you'd like to open your Bibles, we'll, we'll rightly divide that chapter, which can help us to see where we are on God's timetable. In Matthew 24, in the third verse, there are three questions asked by the disciples. Here are the three questions. When will the temple be destroyed? That's question one. 
What will be the events that signal your return? That's question two. How will we know when the end of the world is to come? That is question three. And in order to understand the 24th chapter of Matthew, you must understand what, which one of these questions is being answered in which part of the chapter. In Matthew 24, 4 through 14, are the signs which Jesus said will precede the rapture. Jesus said to them, Don't let anyone fool you, for many will come claiming to be the Messiah and will lead many astray. When you hear of wars beginning, this does not signal my return. They must come, but the end is not yet. The nations and the kingdoms of the earth will rise against each other, and there will be famines and earthquakes in many places, but all this will only be the beginning of the horrors to come. Then you will be tortured and killed and hated all over the world because you are mine. And many of you shall fall back into sin and betray and hate each other. And many false prophets shall appear and lead many astray. Sin will be rampant everywhere and will cool the love of many. But those enduring to the end shall be saved. And the good news about the kingdom will be preached throughout the whole world so that all nations will hear it. And finally, the end will come. It's little wonder that we need purposed hearts and committed hearts. If what Jesus here has told us is true, and it is, these indeed are perilous days which lie ahead. These verses refer to what will be happening here on earth prior to the rapture when Jesus comes to take out all born-again believers. Now, Matthew 24, starting with 15 down through 28, speaks of the tribulation period, what will take place after the rapture, after Jesus Christ has taken us out. And he says, So when you see the horrible things being told about by Daniel, the prophet standing in the holy place, note to the reader, you know what is meant. Then those in Judea must flee into the Judean hills. Those on their porches must not even go inside to pack before they flee. Those in the fields should not return to their homes for their clothes and woe to the pregnant women and to those with babies in those days. And pray that your flight will not be in winter or on the Sabbath for there will be persecution such as the world has never before seen in all its history and never will see again. In fact, unless those days are shortened, all mankind will perish, but they will be shortened for the sake of God's chosen people, that is, the Jews. Then if anyone tells you the Messiah has arrived at such and such a place or has appeared here or there, don't believe it. For false Christ shall arise and false prophets will do wonderful miracles so that if possible even God's chosen ones, talk about the Jews again, would be deceived. See, I have warned you, so that if someone tells you the Messiah has returned and it's out in the desert, don't bother to go and look. Or that he is hiding in a certain place, don't believe it. For as the lightning flashes across the sky from the east to the west, so shall my coming be when I, the Messiah, return. And wherever the carcass is, there the vultures shall be gathered. Now, in the 24th chapter of Matthew, starting with verse 29 and down through 31, he speaks of his return in glory, not the rapture, but his return in glory at the beginning of the millennial term immediately after the persecution of those days talking about the tribulation time he says the sun will be darkened the moon will not give light and the stars will seem to fall from the heavens and the powers overshadowing the earth will be convulsed remember the seven woes the seven seals and the seven plagues remember that that was a part of it and then at last the signal of my coming will appear in the heavens and there will be deep mourning all around the earth and the nations of the world will see me arrive in the clouds of heaven with power and great glory and I shall send forth my angels with the sound of a mighty trumpet blast, and they shall gather my chosen ones from the farthest ends of the earth and heaven. And then Matthew 24, starting with verse 32 and going through 40, 34, speaks of the fig tree blossoming. This is symbolic of the Jewish nation. 
Now learn a lesson, Jesus said, from the fig tree. When her branch is tender and the leaves begin to sprout, you know that summer is almost here. Just so, when you see all these things beginning to happen, you know that my return is near, even at the door, then at last this age will come to its close. Matthew 24, starting with verse 35 and 36, deals with the end of the world. Jesus said, Heaven and earth shall disappear, but my words will remain forever. That's going to happen with the destruction of the earth and the heavens, the appearance of the new heaven and new earth. But no one knows the date or the hour when the end will come. Not even the angels, no, not even God's Son, only the Father knows, Jesus said. Then in Matthew 24, starting with 37 down through 42, is the rapture itself. It says the world will be at ease. He's talking here about the rapture. The world will be at ease. Banquets and parties just as it was in Noah's time before the sudden coming of the flood. People weren't, wouldn't believe that that was going to happen until the flood actually arrived and took them all away. So shall my coming be. Two men will be working together in the field. The one will be taking the other left. Two women will be going about their household tasks. The one will be taking the other left. So be prepared for you don't know what day your Lord is coming. This is a picture of what God's timetable will look like as it unfolds. Now, where are we on that timetable? First, the Jews. Jesus said, when you see the fig tree budding, you know that the time is close at hand. In May of 1948, the fig tree of the Jewish people began to bud in Israel. She again became a nation. For the first time since their dispersion, They'd been gathered together as a nation. After the Six-Day War, for the first time since the dispersion, they had possession of all of Jerusalem, including the old temple site. The teaching of the Word of God is that this generation shall not pass away until all these things be fulfilled. Now, it depends on how you interpret this generation. Frankly, I don't know what the interpretation is of this generation, but Jesus said, this generation shall not pass away until all these things shall be fulfilled. You can know within limits when Jesus is coming again, if you can determine what he meant when he said this generation. It's entirely possible that the generation spoken of here would be a generation of a man's lifetime. If that's true, project a man's lifetime from May of 1948, and you may have some idea of when Jesus could return. Let's look at the world order of government, the second signpost that we see. What's going to be happening before his return in that realm? We've seen that the ten-nation confederacy is going to appear. It will have headquarters in Rome. It will have a dictator who will eventually become the world dictator about halfway through the tribulation period. Information on the ten-nation confederacy can be found in Daniel 2, where it speaks of the ten toes of the image. Daniel 7, the beast with ten horns. And in Revelation 13, the beast with ten crowns. This is the ten-nation confederacy that will be one of the main political power structures during the, uh, the tribulation period. The Bible says in Daniel 2, 4, that in, in these days prior to the tribulation that the many shall run to and fro and knowledge shall be increased. Now, we know it's true. We have the SST making trips from London to New York in just a few hours, and the entire technological knowledge of our world is increasing more rapidly than, it's, it's doubling more rapidly than once every 20 years. Knowledge certainly is increasing. Matthew 24, 6 says there will be wars and rumors of wars. There have been 44 wars since World War II. There have been 39 political assassinations, 48 
personal revolt, 74 rebellions for independence, and 162 social revolutions. The message continues on the other side of the tape. Please turn the cassette over at this point. 